Let's finish discussing the fantastic book Meals to Come, The History of the Future of Food by Warren Belasco. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, the first part of the discussion, don't worry, I will summarize the key points for you. In this episode, you will hear about how modern solutions of cornucopians, Malthusians and egalitarians look like why it can be useful to add an ecological perspective, and a tapestry of some of my favorite quotes from the book discussing how belief systems and rhetoric have shaped the future of food predictions. Super, super interesting. I'm joined by my lovely co-host Frank Alexander Kühnert, the chief of the advisory board of the herb and spice producer Raps, and the managing director of the Adalbert Raps Foundation funding research on sustainable food science. More on that later. Let's jump right in. Red to Green is the most in-depth podcast on food sustainability. And in this season seven, we discuss key takeaways from books on the food system. I'm your host, Marina Schmidt, and I'm joined by my co-host, Frank Kühner. Let's start with a quick summary of the last episode describing the three types of food futurists. So Warren Belasco argued that if you look at future food predictions for the entirety of the 20th century, you will find these archetypes. First, the cornucopians believe innovation will fix anything and throw tech at any problem. We need to be better, faster and stronger using new approaches. The main theme is to innovate. Malthusians generally believe that our main issue is that we're too many people. And as I will describe in a second, I think modern Malthusians would rather focus on reducing our consumption, respecting the Earth's limits, and finding ways to reduce, reuse, and recycle. The main theme here is to save. The third camp, the egalitarians, believe we would have enough if we would share it better. Environmental issues are a reflection of social inequality. Local and small is beautiful. The main theme here is to share. And as we will get to in a few minutes, the fourth category, which I would add to it, would be the ecologists. Ecologists believe we must live in line with nature again, get off the chemical agricultural treadmill and think in ecosystems. The main theme here is to restore and regenerate. Ultimately, especially nowadays, most people are not in either or category because our understanding of the food system has developed. It just helps to be aware of one's default view and recognize which other perspectives may be good to take a look at. Yeah, what is your mindset? What's your basic mindset in regard of food? I think I was very cornucopian for a while, especially when I started with season one on cellular agriculture. And I mean, cornucopian, that's cellular agriculture. That's our last season in biotech and food. That's all we will fix it with technology. I would say I'm all of the three, the least of which Malthusian. If you look at the modern incarnation of these, I would say Malthusians also talk about if we cannot limit population growth, we need to limit our individual consumption. And that's not something that I read in the book, but something that I would extrapolate just to clarify that Malthusians in their modern form are more connected to our food waste season, which was season four. I do think reducing individual consumption does have a role to play, saving lost resources, improving efficiency in that way, seeing where can we cut 
waste, plastics. So how can you streamline the system? Zero waste is more on the consumer side of things, recycling, upcycling. Also, it's like a Malthusian thing for me and how I would interpret like new Malthusianism. <laughs> and the egalitarians actually in the modern version, I think, still sort of stayed the same, like it's the NGOs and the activists and global development. If we think about the books that we read, Stuffed and Starved was a very egalitarian book. And I would add a fourth one on top. Okay. A fourth archetype, which would be the ecologist. If the egalitarian thinks about the human mm -hmm. and social system. Distribution. Okay. Yeah. The ecologists thinks about that based on, okay, we have a farm ecosystem. We need to be in a just relation with nature. We need to make sure that we don't just take the microbes and we take the resources that Earth has. We need to feed the soil. We need to think in systems, not just in human systems, but then also in microbial systems. And that is to me a fourth belief system that, again, he doesn't mention, but I would add to it. And with these four, I think one can have a very balanced viewpoint on the food industry. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So you have the society as the amount of people in it and regulating them. You have the technology driving like future forward issues. Mm -hmm. You have the distribution system and you have the ecosystem in which the food system actually is rooted and you need to protect that. Yeah. Yeah. Are you on the lookout for grants or do you know somebody who could use a grant for research on food science and the sustainability of our food system? Then you really gotta listen to this one. The Adalbert Raps Foundation, which is headed by Frank, offers grants on pretty much everything that we cover in this podcast. So they've supported projects in alt proteins connected to spices and herbs, soil, etc. They are open for all sorts of topics focused on the sustainability of the food system. They can only fund researchers or academic institutions, but also as a startup, you can work with them. For example, Cultivated Biosciences, a dairy-free startup already did, as well as Perfect, working on egg alternatives, and Bosque Food, working on biomass fermentation using fungi. The Adelboat Raps Foundation is based in the south of Germany, but you can apply if you're outside of Germany or even outside of Europe. And I recently received this question, but no, they do not take any equity. They're funding the academic institution and you get the benefit of having potentially the intellectual property or the research and reputation without having to pay for it yourself. You can also just be a single researcher and apply for a grant. Check out the Adelbert Raps Foundation by following the link in the comments. You can also reach out to Frank Alexander Kühne himself by finding him on LinkedIn. Back to the episode. Yeah, and the last one, the ecologists in their modern view, like in the modern incarnation, if you look on LinkedIn, they are a lot of the farmers that are on LinkedIn. And I was always wondering, if you have regenerative agriculture people and food tech people commenting under one post, like the likelihood that it will just explode, <laughs> it's very high. And I was wondering, why? And it's because their fundamental belief systems are so far apart. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. And yeah. quite a lot of the people in the cornucopian food tech field, you can argue there are people who make claims which are just outrageous, like, oh, we're going to eradicate the last factory farm on earth, having that on an office wall. And at the same time, ecologists who say, 
to the extreme. We don't need less cows. We need more cows. That's a bit just like, I mean, we, I think we have enough cows. It's okay. Like, <laughs> you can use the cows that are there to do your rotational grazing. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't misuse that. But yeah, the corners of these are not necessarily the wisest, but each of them mm. has some wisdom and use. Yeah. The sun is shining so much on you, you look enlightened. You know, it's like, aww. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like uh, glittering yeah. in your glasses. I've listened to Red to Green. <laughs> <laughs> but your fifth thesis, I don't want to make it small, but it's, it's a general idea that kind of the engine you have in your head is influencing what you act on. So sort of food yeah. system specific thing or this kind of archetype as you call them it's very general there is much more nuance to it and i would structure it into two parts one of them is how these different belief systems affected each other so for the first point warren belasco describes this fascinating dynamic malthusians would predict greater hunger and in response, cornucopians would take action to increase food production, challenging the Malthusian's perspective and making it invalid, therefore. Meanwhile, the egalitarians, though they were not always equally represented during the Red Scare, voiced their concerns about this growing surplus of food and an economic and political system that enriched the wealthy with cheap meat while depriving the poor of basic grains and degraded soil. And this kind of going in circles would go on for decades and decades and decades, which is why Warren Belasco points out that if you look at historical debates, they sound repetitive because they are repetitive. And regarding the second part of the argument, I will read to you a couple of my favorite quotes from Warren Belasco. So you can also again have a bit of a sneak peek into his exact way of writing and framing these topics, starting from position 735 in the ebook. So here he talks about how the different archetypes, the different food futurists just cherry-picked their way of interpreting history and information. Behind the statistics lurked subjective, often moralistic assumptions about diet human adaptability and creativity, the nature of the good life and political change. Even the most interdisciplinary think tankers rarely ventured much beyond their own values, paradigms and experiences. Even with identical timeframes, judgments can vary based on what is being counted. In the late 20th century, cornucopians celebrated the continued decline of grain prices while Malthusians worried about a simultaneous spike in seafood prices. Another lesson is that, for making predictions, it is best to brush up one's classical metaphors, myths and allusions. Command of archetypes is in fact an essential prerequisite for framing news stories, capturing the public imagination and setting the policy agenda. Futurists have cannibalized, rearranged and repackaged the past to support virtually any point, and thanks to the historical amnesia and scientific illiteracy of the audience, few have recognized the repetitiveness. If you are going to make predictions, you might as well be bold and confident about them. Whatever their position, the futurists who have received the greatest attention have been the ones with the loudest, most urgent and certain scenarios. 
even if they have turned out to be wrong. Today, everyone claims to be an environmentalist, including the Rockefeller Foundation's president, who cast genetic engineering as the double green revolution, and Monsanto, whose public relations department pitches biotechnology as a sustainable and fair way to feed the hungry world. But fallacies aside, the fifth lesson is that long-run accuracy has not always been a major consideration anyway. For the most part, futurists have not really been discussing the future so much as they have been projecting contemporary events, worries and hopes onto the future. Yeah, the way that Warren Belasco describes it though, is he really points out that you can have the same piece of data can have the same yeah. chart and it's and you look differently. so deeply yeah. Yeah. like yeah. interpreted in different ways and these used to be very separate belief systems there were clearly futurists who were malthusians and there were clearly ones which were egalitarians and now it has all become more muddled like on a startup mm. web page you can see all three oh we have to feed 10 billion people by 2050. That's a Malthusian worry, right? We want to bring back forests and agricultural land. That's an egalitarian ecological view. And we are doing that by promoting precision fermentation to replace or animal cheese and animal mm. or tissue engineering to replace animal meat. That's cornucopian. I have a sixth thesis and maybe you'll want to <laughs> read that one. <laughs> No, <laughs> should I? So I have a very challenging thesis from Marina here to state, and you can actually repeat that after me if you don't feel comfortable me saying that. The food tech industry could benefit from a more... Now I know why you asked me to read that. Egalitarian. <laughs> egalitarian. The food tech industry could benefit from a more egalitarian, I can't pronounce that, and ecosystem approach. There's a lot. You can actually re-edit that, please, and cut the right <laughs> word in. <laughs> Use one of Marina's sound bits, pieces. <laughs> There's a lot to learn from farmers who work with the ecosystem. I think you actually you should re repeat the thesis, please, Marina. Read it. <laughs> <laughs> Why you are so triggered by it? <laughs> you don't want your you don't want your voice associated with it. <laughs> 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 no, Ayman, I'm going to oppose that. Yeah, this, this is uh, but the... okay. But so I can maybe elaborate on it. So I do think that our food system is vastly, intensely cornucopian, and if you add a bit more of an egalitarian approach, that does mean more fair trade, breaking up monopolies. Because the irony is like, if you are a cornucopian believing in a liberal market, then this is not existent. This is not a liberal market because mm -hmm. it's based on competition. If you have four companies in the agricultural space who have the majority, that's not competition. Like, is the fever getting to you? You're like, oh, yeah, no, 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 I'm not drowsy. I'm, 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 I'm really trying to grasp your idea. Uh, the reason why the thesis touched me is because I, like there are two levels for me in that kind of thesis. And perhaps it's because you introduced the, the different archetypes, which is the egalitarian. <laughs> Jesus Just Christ. Just call them eagles. <laughs> <laughs> the hippie. The, the hippie archetype and the ecosystem archetype. Let's call them that way. <laughs> God. While I totally agree with you in the um, in the whole um, 
hippie system being that we not. <laughs> Can we have now a photo of Marina? How she's going to throw herself out of the window? Me struggling with these words. <laughs> Jesus. So good. I, I, I could do this the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> How painful this is for me. Thank you. I see two different levels here. The egalitarian approach. I agree with you what we have seen over the last of the whole season that I've shared with you or was being part of. Our food system clearly is disbalanced. It's not a balanced food system at that point, and it needs to be more balanced to be that kind of a functional market system. So regarding your thesis, yes, yeah, we need a more ecologic and more balanced food system. Okay, so what's your resume of the book? Fantastic. Unfortunately, you can't see the book, but you have to look at the cover. I never actually would have bought that book because of its <laughs> cover. Yeah. It has a picture of the typical American TV dinner on it. As a kind of copian, this is backwards oriented and not forward oriented, but it's a book to read. It's a book which roots you being part of the food system in a way in your history and understand when things already have been discussed or innovated or found. So very handy book. Clearly something to read, even if the cover is not very attractive. How about you, Marina? I would say it's, as we call it in Germany, it's quite a Schinkenklopper. Yeah. You translate it like it's a massive piece of ham. Uh, so it's quite it's a mouthful. Huge. Yeah, it's quite, quite a, a mouthful. mouthful. I think it takes like 12 hours to read it, according to my Kindle. It's about twice as long as a normal book would be. There are also parts which are very, very long and very detailed. Like even just the way that he describes how fiction has represented food uh, probably goes on for like 50 pages or something. It's very in-depth. I think in general, I didn't need anybody to really sell me on that, but it just reminded me again how much I appreciate history. And know where you come from to know where you can go. Something exactly. Like that. So yeah, everybody. Uh, uh, history is, is, is always a good teacher. Totally. Yes, yeah. absolutely. To keep this episode bite-sized and easy to digest, it will keep going next week. So make sure to subscribe to stay up to date. Now think about one person that may appreciate learning about this topic and seeing different perspectives. The best thing that you can do to support Red to Green is to share this episode with that one person. It will just take 30 seconds and it will actually support us greatly to keep doing this research and bringing it out to you for free. Frank and I would also love to hear from you. So go ahead, reach out to us, tell us your opinion, share your viewpoints, ask your questions. You can find the link to our profiles in the show notes or write us by looking us up Frank Alexander Kühne and me, Marina Schmidt. As so often, a big special thank you to our senior audio editor, Celeste Gupta. Until next time, let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.